As Matt mentioned at the beginning of the service, we are taking a break from James um, for the month of August, and we will be hearing from a few different people and ministries um, throughout the month. So this morning, um, we will hear from Tyler Pease. He's the regional director director of Perspectives, um, who Rebecca shared about Perspectives last week, if you were here. Um, And before I invite him up, I just wanted to share a little bit about... um, how it has impacted me. So I was, I was invited to take perspectives um, 11 years ago as a student, and I really soaked it up then. Um, and then a few years ago, I was encouraged to take the training to be a, a coordinator for the classes. Um, and at that training is actually where I met Tyler and his wife Karen for the first time. So, um, and then I hosted a class here at Harvest um, early 2020, and um, Tyler was an instructor for that class, and um, he eked in right before we had to move to online since COVID came. Um, so anyway, um, that's a little bit about how I know him, um, and, and we've, we've talked about perspectives a little bit. Um, if you're not familiar with it, um, you probably have a lot of questions, um, or it probably just seems like, God, what is this thing that's, you know, 15 weeks and three hours on Sundays? Um, but let me just tell you that it it impacted me significantly. Um, So ever since I was young, God gave me a desire um, for people all over the world to know him. And I just, at at a young age, that manifested itself differently um, in different ways in my life. Um, But it wasn't really until I took perspectives that I felt like I really began to more fully understand um, the beauty of the story of what God is doing um, and has done in the world. Um, and, and I think I was so um, just, it, I was looking at what was right in front of me, and, and it just opened up this incredible um, window to what God has done in, in the past and is doing now. Um, so what it made me think of is like, if you've ever uh, read a book or studied a passage of scripture or, or studied a, a topic or a subject or something, or, um, or started a hobby that just just left you kind of awestruck, and um, and it wasn't really something you had fully considered before, or really had the opportunity to unpack. And then once you got into it, it just kind of blew your mind and opened up more and more possibilities, and got you like just genuinely excited about whatever it is um, that you're looking at. And then you just wanted to soak up more of it. So that's kind of what perspectives did to me in my heart. Um, so even though I had a missional mindset as even as a young kid, um, taking the class actually opened up my heart and mind to better understand God's love for people worldwide. And then also how he, he invites his people into this incredible story, um, growing his kingdom. And then also how I can be a participant in that as an individual. Um, and, and just the, the, um, the reiteration of, of, this life, the, the little things, the little daily things, and then the big moments in life and the big transitions and all of that, all of it is not about me. It's not about you. It's about God's glory and how, um, how we get to participate in that. It's incredible that he invites us into, into that. And, and perspectives also help me see that, um, that participating in that is so much more simple and also more exciting than I, um, than I had thought before. So it helped me ask the question, how do I fit in to all of that? 
Um, so anyway, that's just a brief, a brief little summary of how I know Tyler and, um, and how Perspectives has impacted me. Um, I think it's a fantastic tool. It's worth every minute. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a commitment, but it's worth every minute and every dollar for any Christian to go through, no matter what um, stage of life you're in, um, just to be propelled toward the heart of God and his, his mission. So um, this morning, I'm excited to hear what the Lord has put on Tyler's heart to share with us as a church body. Um, so will you help me welcome Tyler this morning? Well, good morning. It's so good to be here with you. And yeah, it was three and a half years ago when I was last in this room and then the world kind of shut down. And why it feels like yesterday, I don't know. But uh, here we are. So uh, this morning, it's just a privilege to, to be here. I'm going to introduce you briefly to my family and just tell you a little, very little about myself, but just something. Uh, let's try this out. So there's my family. My wife is joining me today. Uh, my daughter, Jillian, decided today would be a great day for grandma time, so she stayed home. We live in Tacoma, Washington, and I have the privilege of serving as the regional director for Perspectives and the Northwestern United States. Uh, prior to that, I uh, served on staff at my church for 15 years in Tacoma, Washington. That's where we live currently and still minister there. Uh, nobody pays me to do it anymore, uh, but oversee our global outreach ministry. My wife, Karen, uh, leads a ministry called Better English in Tacoma, which uh, really perspectives was a big part of what that ministry looks like today, and we'll share a little bit about uh, what that looks like, uh, but an aspect of being part of God's global purposes that involves welcoming the nations who are coming here, and God has just given us rich privilege to minister to people from so many different countries and places where we can't go to share the gospel with an American passport. Um, so rich opportunities in our own communities. About 10 years ago was the first time I took perspectives. As a pastor, I was leading our global and local outreach ministries at the church, and people kept talking about it, and I kind of took it just with the mindset, I'm going to check this out for my church, and it did have an incredible impact on myself. Um, so I always tell people this is really a life-changing course. Um, and one of the major impacts for us was not simply uh, how we look at global things, but it also changed how our church does local ministry. And it's just had a big impact on my life, my wife's life, our church, and our community. And so when God opened the door for me to come on board with them, I was very excited for that. Uh, Perspectives, if I were just to describe it in a nutshell, I would say Perspectives is a discipleship course that brings a global dimension into your discipleship journey. And you might ask, like, why in the world would I want to have a global dimension to my discipleship journey? Well, the reality is, is that our God is a global God. And our God has global purposes that he has been passionately working for from the beginning of his redemptive plan. And that's what I want to show you a little bit this morning. I want you to be captured by a picture of God's global heart and his global purposes. And really my goal today is not that you would hear about missions or anything like that, but that you would see God 
uh, more clearly and, and connect more with what his heart is. There was a missionary, or not a missionary, I guess a minister and a theologian, an Englishman named John Stott, who once said this about God. He said, the living God is a missionary God. And um, I don't know what you think about when you hear that, that phrase, the living God is a missionary God, or when you hear that word missionary or missions. I think some of us, when we hear that word, like we think uh, it comes to mind as like pictures of really needy people. And maybe like participation in missions is driven by how sorry I feel for somebody or how much my heartstrings get tugged on. And I don't know about you, but I know for myself, as I look at things like a Facebook feed, there's so many problems in the world, at some point I just start getting weary of it all, and I can't care about everything. And maybe when you hear about missions, that's how you feel. Or perhaps when you hear that word missions, you think about missions as something that's kind of a uh, deluxe model of Christianity. Like for some people, they like, like buying a car. Like I'll take the car, the base model with the roll-up windows. Uh, some people like the one with all the heated seats and steering wheels. With Christianity, I'll take the base model. I'll take the get-to-heaven model of Christianity, and I'll leave that deluxe model for some other people, like those weird people who like to travel around the world and eat foreign food. Um, but for me, I'll just stick with this. Um, perhaps when we hear missions, we think of it as something that's a bit of a stretch goal, kind of like crowdfunding. Uh, you know, we, we, if we take care of everything in our own community or in our own country, or in our own church, then we can start thinking about something outside of our sphere. Uh, so I don't know about you, but um, this morning, I don't know if some of those thoughts go through your head when you hear missions. Uh, perhaps you hear missions and you think, oh, this is an invitation to some thankless task, like that I'll have to, if I, I listen to this, like I'm gonna have to give everything up that's enjoyable in life. I don't know what goes through your mind, or maybe none of those things go through your mind, but one of my goals for today is simply that we have a, a, perhaps a different way of looking at missions as we take a look at God's word this morning. Um, and really, like I said, my biggest goal for this morning is that you would see God more, that you'd have a bigger view of God, that you would understand God's heart more. To do that this morning, I'm going to uh, take time to look at Psalm 67 with you, and what I'd like to do actually is, I just want to read the whole psalm first before I start talking about it. Um, I didn't put this in the slides, so if you have your Bibles, you can take a look at it or just listen to the psalm. It's not a long one, but I'd like to uh, take a moment and read this first. Psalm 67 says this, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way would be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And that's the passage that we'll kind of be looking at. We're going to look at a lot of passages this morning, but that's our main one. So with that read, I would really like to invite us to, let's just take a moment, ask God for his help and our time in his word, and then we'll jump in, shall we? So let's pray. 
Uh, God, this morning, we are just thankful um, to be able to be here, to worship you, to open your word. Thank you for this morning, and thank you for this congregation on our time together. And God, uh, simply our prayer this morning, that through your word and through your spirit, you would give us a, a bigger view of who you are. Give us a more accurate view of who, who you are. And as we see you, Lord, help our hearts to move in alignment with your heart. God, it's my conviction that we can't do that in our own strength. We're not people who can just read something and then will ourselves to change, but we need your spirit to work in our hearts and to, to do that work for us. And so we ask for that this morning. We recognize your presence here, and we want you to be glorified. So Lord, in all these things, we, we lift this up um, in the name of Jesus and through your spirit. Amen. All right, so... Let me just begin with uh, kind of an illustration here to set up what I'm hoping to do this morning as we look at Psalm 67. Um, comes to my mind is glasses. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to me, like when I buy something like sunglasses, I'm a really cheap person. Like I buy cheap sunglasses, and the reason for this is I lose them so quickly. Uh, in fact, I own one expensive pair of sunglasses, and that's because a friend gave them to me. And literally, like three weeks ago, we were driving home from Montana, and I left them at a restaurant and realized they were there like half an hour down the road. And because they're expensive sunglasses, you have to turn around. So there's another hour to your, your road trip. Um, if they were cheap sunglasses, ah, oh, forget it. But so, you know, I'm more of a cheap sunglass guy. Now, sunglasses are intended to help you see better, Right. Like, they're supposed to block the glare and kind of help you see things better. But the problem with cheap sunglasses is sometimes they do block light, but they block everything else as well. And sometimes they do more to obscure your vision than anything else. Now, why start there? Well, the reality is, in this life, our culture gives us glasses to see the world with. We look at the world through a particular lens that our culture gives us, and just like sunglasses, that cultural lens colors the world, how we look at it. Sometimes it obscures things. And this is true when we look at God's word. That when we look at God's word, sometimes things are obscured because of our cultural lenses. And the reality is, one of the reasons why people tend to think of missions as like kind of an optional part of Christianity or something for some people but not for everybody is because we have cultural glasses that obscure our vision. And so this morning, I want to give us a new pair of glasses or a new lens to look at God's word with. And as you see on the picture there, lenses can also bring things into greater clarity and into greater focus. And so Psalm 67, I believe, can give us a lens to see things in God's word with greater clarity than what we might otherwise see. And as I talk about cultural lenses to obscure things, let me tell you what I mean by that. In the United States of America, we live in a very individualistic culture. Uh, we are the most individualistic culture of any culture that's ever been on the planet. And what that causes us to do when we look at God's word, we look at God's word and say, what's in this for me? And oftentimes, we see the good stuff in it for us, but we fail to see the stuff that's about the whole world. And so this morning, uh, with Psalm 67, we're gonna kinda get a corrective lens. Now, lenses don't cause you to see something that's not there, they just bring things into greater clarity, greater focus. 
And so that's what we'll do. And really, we're going to focus in on the first two verses. So Psalm 67, look at verse 1 with me. says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Isn't that wonderful? Just the idea there. We love this. And this is a common verse used in churches all over the United States, often used as a closing benediction. We love the idea of God's graciousness towards us. We love the idea of God's blessing towards us. We love that idea of God's face shining upon us, that nearness of God, that relational nearness of God. Those are all wonderful things, aren't they? But you know what we often are tempted to do? You know, doing your, your morning Bible reading, you might read this verse and say, oh, that's so wonderful. We'll close our Bible and go about this day thinking about how much God loves me, and he does love you. But you might notice something about that verse. What's at the end of the verse? Is it a period? It's a comma. It's not the end of the thought. And verse two completes the thought, and verse two starts with the word that. It's a causal word. It's a word that tells you why is God gracious to us? Why does he bless us? Why does he cause his face to shine upon us? And the answer is this in verse two, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. These two verses, I believe, give us a paradigm to really understand God's global purposes in his redemptive plan. And, and I don't think Psalm 67 is coming out of the blue with this new thought. I think what the psalmist is doing is sort of summing up what God is doing with his redemptive plan through all of history. Now, here's the lens I'm going to give you. I'm going to put this in terminology that I hope is memorable. I'm going to talk about it as the top line and bottom line of God's redemptive plan. What do I mean by top line? Well, top line simply means this. Uh, I'll, I'll define it this way. We all know what the bottom line of something is, right? You're doing a business deal, and you might say, what's the bottom line? You following me? So what I mean is the bottom line is what it's, what, what's the bottom line? The top line, what I mean by that is this is definitely included. It's part of God's redemptive plan. It's just not the bottom line, right? So I'd say this. The top line is verse 1. And the top line is this. We do benefit from being part of God's plan, and I want you to hear this. You are not inconsequential. Famous preacher used to say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Is that true? Not a trick question. Don't be afraid to answer. Yes, that's true. God does love you and he does have a plan for your life. You are not inconsequential to God. But what I want you to see today is you being part of God's plan, the benefit to you, that's the top line. In other words, it's not the bottom line. In other words, you are not the bottom line of what God is doing. I know, crazy thought, right? So what's the bottom line? Well, the bottom line is this, that God is working for his glory. And I want you to see this, that God is not working for his glory in some generic sense of the word, like he just wants a lot of people to like him. But God is working for a very specific kind of glory, and that is specifically his glory among all nations. And we're going to unpack a little bit what that means. But I want you to see here that both of these are part of what God is doing redemptively, and they're not opposed to each other. So sometimes in churches, I've heard some people say, oh, God loves me, and then someone responds, no, God is working for his glory, as though they're opposed to each other, and they're not. God does love you, and he is working for his glory. And these things are connected. And so I want you to have this lens, because as we look at Scripture this morning, we're going to look at a few passages I want you to see how this top line, bottom line works. 
It's all over scripture. And once you have a lens to see it, when you read your Bible, you're gonna see it over and over again. Oh, there's the bottom line again. Oh, that bottom line, that, that weird guy who was talking about the bottom line, there it is again. I, that's my hope for you, at least, this morning. So let's take a look, and what I wanna do is I wanna give you some examples of the top line and the bottom line at play here, okay? So we're gonna look at a few passages of scripture, and these are just some select examples, but I guarantee you this is all over God's redemptive plan. Because God working for his glory among the nations, it's a driving theme throughout scripture from the beginning to the very end. So speaking of the beginning, let's start from the beginning. There's a reason I have Abraham there looking at the stars, because I wanna take you to the very beginning of Abraham in Genesis. Uh, at this point, he's still named Abram. But Genesis 12, two through three, God has just told him, move from a land, go to a place I'm gonna show you, and look at what God says to Abraham. He says this, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here's a question for you this morning. Was Abraham blessed? Yeah, he was. And he was blessed in a number of ways. He was blessed with a great name. He was blessed with descendants. God made him a great nation. He was blessed with material wealth as well and success in life. So he was blessed. However, was Abraham and that blessing that he received, was that the top line of what God was doing or the bottom line? It was the top line. In other words, it wasn't all about Abraham. God blessing Abraham was not some divine act of favoritism where he was blessing Abraham at the expense of others. It's actually very much the opposite of that. That God was blessing Abraham, but he had a bottom line purpose in that verse at the bottom there I have underlined is that bottom line purpose. That in you, Abraham, in your family, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. God blessing Abraham had a global purpose in mind. And in specifically, the way that God was intending to bless the families of the earth was to bring them into a knowledge of who the true and living God was so that they would be worshipers of the true God rather than idolaters. And so God's blessing was focused on him bringing glory to himself. Now, if you think maybe I'm taking this verse a little too far, let me show you what Paul says about this very moment in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Paul says this, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. You know what's amazing I love about this verse? Did you know the very first time the gospel was preached was in Genesis 12? Isn't that wild to think about that? As God is talking to Abraham, he already has in mind everything that's gonna happen with Jesus. He has everything that's gonna happen to bring the Gentiles to faith, to bring the nations to him. When, when he said, Abraham and you, all the families of the earth, that word families there is actually a term used of nations, of peoples. And so God, from the very beginning, had in mind, this is how it's gonna go. Hear me very carefully. Our God is a plan A kind of God. Sometimes people view God in the Old Testament like he tried out something with Israel and it didn't work, so he went to a plan B or maybe a plan C. God has never left his plan A. 
From this moment, he knew exactly what he was going to do. And before this moment, but this is where his redemptive plan is revealed is in Genesis 12. So I want you to see, though, though top line, bottom line. Type line, uh, Abraham, definitely blessed. He's part of God's plan. There's blessing for him being in God's plan. And yet, it's not all about him. The bottom line is God's working for his glory among the nations. All right? Let me give you another example. I'm going to go and think about Israel. Now, Israel is God's chosen people. I think they received a lot of blessings. I want to focus in on one in particular, and that's the temple. Now, think about Israel back in those days of King Solomon. You have this beautiful temple built. This is where God's presence dwelled, his earthly presence dwelled there. And, and you are the, the global capital of right worship. This is where people should come to worship God. Would you consider that a blessing? Come on now. Yeah, isn't it? Now, here's a question for you. Israel being God's chosen people, them having the temple in their own backyard, is this blessing to Israel the top line or the bottom line? It's the top line. Let me show you what is said at the opening dedication of this temple because it's really amazing, of course. They did the same thing we do when we build a building. You have a, you, you have a party and you dedicate the building. I imagine when this building was built, it was probably dedicated, there was probably a party involved. And they did the same thing. So at this party, King Solomon gets up and he prays this prayer of dedication. I just want to show you one part of this prayer. I'm going to read a little bit more than what I show you on the screen. I'm going to read about a verse or two before what you see here. But listen to this prayer that he prays. He says this, Likewise, when a foreigner who's not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name, in your mighty hand, and of your outstretched arm, okay, coming to what's on the screen there, when he comes, that is the foreigner, when the foreigner comes and prays towards this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. Do you see the bottom line purpose going on there? That yes, this temple was a beautiful place and it was a blessing for the people of Israel, but ultimately, the bottom line of what God was doing was with the temple was that the peoples of the earth would come to this place and know who the true and living God is and worship him. You know, later on in scripture in Isaiah, God said this about his temple. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And in fact, when Jesus cleanses the temple in Mark chapter 11, that is what he quotes. He says, my house is be a house of prayer for all people, but you've turned it into a den of robbers. Now, I'm not gonna unpack all that was going on there, but let me say this. One of the issues going on there is that Israel was boasting in their election, and they had separated the top line from the bottom line, and so they were living for all the benefit for themselves, and they didn't care one bit about the nations. And let me tell you, that is highly offensive to God. When we separate the top line from the bottom line, highly offensive. And that's part of what was going on with Jesus cleansing the temple. Okay, I'm gonna give you one more example, okay, of the top line, bottom line in, in action here. And we're gonna go to Daniel chapter six. 
It's a wonderful story. Daniel and the lion's den. And you know, Daniel and the lion's den is an interesting story because typically uh, when preachers preach this, you know, the application that we often hear is, you know, Daniel was delivered from the lion's den. And a preacher might extend this and say, you know, what's the lion's den in your life and how might God deliver you? Okay, not the worst application, but we're missing something here because I think we're only focusing on the top line. Now, think about this. Daniel being rescued from the lions, would you agree with me that that was a blessing? Yes, and if I'm ever in a lion's den, I hope I'm blessed in a similar way. But was Daniel being rescued from the lions the top line or the bottom line? Yeah, because it wasn't all about Daniel. Let me show you how this story ends. And again, I'm going to read a little bit more than what I show you on screen, but at the conclusion of that story, King Darius writes this letter. And this is the conclusion of this story. Um, I love this. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell where? In all the earth. There's some power for you, right? I wish I had that kind of power. (laughs) But he says this. Check this out. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Do you see the bottom line at play there? Yes, Daniel is not inconsequential to God. Daniel is definitely part of God's plan, and he benefits from being part of God's plan, and yet he's not the bottom line. In the story of Daniel being delivered from the lions, what what God is doing through Daniel's deliverance is he's bringing glory to his name, and he's having this declaration to all the peoples of the earth that he is the living God. So perhaps when we apply Daniel, we might say, what's the lion's den in your life, and how might God deliver you? But we need to go to the bottom line saying, how is that deliverance going to bring glory to God among the peoples of the earth? What I want you to see in all of these examples I've given you today, and I guarantee if you look through scripture, you're gonna keep seeing the nations, the peoples, the families of the earth coming up over and over again because God's always working for his bottom line purposes. But this is why I believe that God's blessings are always tied to his global purposes. Our God is a global God. The living God is a missionary God. Now, what I haven't really talked about this morning is why in the world does God want to be glorified in this way? I told you, he doesn't just want glory in a generic sense. He doesn't just want a lot of people to worship him. But very specifically, he wants the nations. He wants worship from each and every nation that he's created. So why? And let me give you a little bit of uh, the reason why, in my opinion, and I think we see this at the very end of the redemptive story. Which, by the way, if God is a plan A kind of God, then we shouldn't be shocked when we turn to Revelation, we see worshipers from where? From every tongue, every tribe, every people, every nation, because God is working for his global purposes. But check this out, in Revelation chapter 21, we actually get to the end of the story where we have a new heaven and a new earth, and we see this amazing picture of the new Jerusalem coming down, and I just want to point to one or two verses here that show us who's coming into this new city. Who does John see coming into this new Jerusalem? 
And what are they doing? Look at what it says. It says this. Um, let me get to my, my spot here. Revelation 21, verse 24. By its light will the, check it out, the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. Look at what they're doing. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Now, a couple things here. One, that, you know, I find surprising because growing up, I just kind of had this vision of heaven like, oh, we all get blended into one indistinct group of people. We're all wearing the same clothes, all speaking English, of course. Uh, no. But what does John see? No, he still sees the nations. There's distinctiveness. There's variety here. And and what they're doing is they're bringing into it the glory and the honor of the nations. And I believe this, that God has given unique glory to every people group, to every nation, in order to glorify him. Now, what sin does is causes us to take the good things that God gives us and twist them and use them to lift ourselves up. But through Christ and through Christ's redemption, we have the ability to become worshipers and to take those good things and to worship God. You know, I travel around the world and I do see like ways that God has wired different people. When I travel to places like Indonesia or to Kenya, uh, there's just beauty that God has given to these people that he hasn't given to me. There, there's unique glory that they have. And you know, the question that might come to mind is when we get to heaven, whose worship is better, the Americans or the Kenyans? Well, it's a nonsensical question because it's not one or the other. I think both will be featured. And it will be this beautiful picture of diverse worship because get this, God alone is infinite, but we are still finite. And that day when we are in God's presence, you will still be a finite person. You will still have a finite tongue. And what fits the worship of God, the infinite God better one language and one style worshiping him or a kaleidoscope of languages and styles. And see, I believe this is why God created the nations, created the peoples, and why he wants to be glorified by them. Now let me give you an illustration that kind of helps me think about this, kind of drives the point of why home a little bit. Um, and I want us to think about this because I, I really think we need to rethink our motivation. Like I said in the beginning, Sometimes the motivation for mission kind of seems to rest in like how, how bad do I feel for needy people or how much do I love people? But you know, obedience to God's global purposes shouldn't be based on how much I love people. It should be based on how much I love God. So I put on the screen here a puzzle that my friends were building, um, some good friends of mine, and they posted this on Facebook one day, and there was a problem with this puzzle. You can't really see it in this picture, but there's one piece missing. And as they were on Facebook, it was really funny because everybody starts commenting. And they're like, I'm praying for you right now. I'm praying that you find the missing piece, and so on and so on. That just cracked me up. But a few weeks later, they found the missing piece, and they posted it, and I mean, everybody's hitting the like button. Everybody's praising God. And it just cracked me up, but it made me think about this. I said, you know what? If I were to give you a puzzle as a gift, 
no matter how beautiful that puzzle was, no matter how many pieces that puzzle had, if I gave you that puzzle as a gift and I knew there was a piece missing, would this be a good gift or a bad gift? Come on now. A horrible gift, right? Like the anguish you're about to go through. And I just thought about this. If God created every nation with unique glory for his worship, and we get to that day, new heavens and the new earth, if one of those nations is missing, is that good worship or bad worship? At the very least, it's incomplete worship. And doesn't our God deserve complete worship? And so I want us to see this today, that our motivation is not how needy people are or how lovable people are, but the glory and the worship that our God, the living God, deserves. Now I want us to see this then, that we have been given a bottom line mission. Matthew 28, missions did not start with Matthew 28. Sometimes people think it did. Mission starts in Genesis. But notice this, as Jesus came and said to them, he's ascending to heaven, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, go therefore and make disciples of who? All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to notice that Jesus was not ascending to heaven, and at the last minute he was, oh, you know what would be good? Go tell some people about this. No, this was a accumulation of, or culmination of what God was doing the whole time. And you know what's amazing? Is his disciples obeyed this. Now, sometimes when we talk about missions, sometimes I have people say, you know what, doesn't our country have enough problems? Shouldn't we fix the things in our country before we think about global stuff? You know, I'm really, really thankful the disciples didn't do that because did Israel have some problems? Absolutely. But they didn't wait to fix Israel. In fact, they went to the people oppressing them, the people that they were hoping the Messiah was going to come and conquer, and In their lifetimes, they went to these people and shared the good news of the gospel with them and brought the gospel to their very oppressors. And the reason almost any of us are sitting here today is because people were obedient to that command, go make disciples of the nations. Now, I think this command is specifically other. It says, go and find out where the gospel's not known, where people don't know Jesus, and make sure you're making disciples of them. And that doesn't mean you don't make disciples of your own friends and family. But we need to be thinking about where do people have access to the gospel. So we think about responding to God's word today. Where are we at in the world today? Well, right now, there's about 7,000 ethnic groups, and that's what we would call nations technically today, who don't have access to a local church. That's 41% of the world's population, or about 3.25 billion people. Now, what I want you to understand here is that these people are no less or no more lost than your neighbor next door who doesn't know Jesus. But the difference is, whereas your neighbor could come to this church today, 41% of the world doesn't have access to a local church. Many don't have access to a Bible in their language. Some might have one missionary for every million people. Others have no gospel witness. And so we are being called as a church, as the church, to get on board with God's global purposes. 
And so today, my goal isn't just to give us some head knowledge, but also I've been asked, how do we engage as a church? And I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon, that it's the whole job of the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. And I believe that, that, that this call is not just for a few people who've been bitten by the travel bug to go do, but the whole church needs to be involved in this. Now what that doesn't mean is that doesn't mean that all of us are called to go live overseas and eat strange food, but we're all called to be part of what God is doing. Let me give you some examples of that today, and this is how I will kind of close our time today is just talking some practical steps. What does this look like for a whole church? Now, first, I want to show you this. This is not my material. This actually comes from a mission organization called All Nations and from what they have called Cinders University. Um, So if you ever go to Mission Connection, they probably will do a workshop on this. But I really find this really helpful. They have this thing called the people chain. And the idea is there's a church like this church, and there's some people group out there that's unreached who has no access to the gospel. And so what we need from this church is a missionary who might go, who might go tell them. Because how are people to call in the name of Jesus unless they hear? And how are people to hear unless someone goes? And yet for them to get to where they need to go, behind them needs to be somebody, for instance, a giver. And I'm not gonna unpack all of these, but behind that person, we need people praying. We might need a helper who helps with various odd tasks We might need a fundraiser who widens the circle. We might need a news monitor who keeps track of what's going on in the world for them. We might need hospitality people. We might need a baker. Why do we have a baker on here? I don't know. Maybe you're baking things to raise money. Maybe you're using your baking skills to host a group over to hear about the need. There's all sorts of ways that you could use a gift like that. We need a squeaky wheel who keeps people's attention on the goal. We need family care because missionaries go through a lot. You see, the whole community comes together to move this person closer to where God's calling them. Now, one of the things to talk about in Sinners University is this, that when some of these pieces fall apart, it breaks the chain, and that's a problem. Because again, we need the whole church to be involved in this task. You know, I know this, that God has gifted you in some way today. God has positioned you in some way. He has blessed you in some way. And God's call to global things is not for you to go do something that you don't want to do. It's for you to use what God has given you where you are for his purposes. Let me just go over a few things of what that might look like and give you a few categories to think about. How do we engage? Well, first of all, prayer is the first thing. It's the most important thing, actually. Put a statement here. Every missiological breakthrough has been preceded by prayer, by some sort of intentional strategic prayer movement. We can trace this in history of the church. Every missiological breakthrough has been preceded by prayer. Friends, can I tell you, no matter how God uses you, Your task is to be praying. Whether you go somewhere across the world, whether you stay here, however God uses you, prayer. And you know, what's interesting is sometimes as our bodies break down and we're unable to go somewhere or be a part of some of these tasks, 
Sometimes people talk about, well, all I can do is pray. And friends, prayer is the most important thing. So you're never removed from the most important thing to be part of God's global purposes. Uh, going is one of the practices that we would do. Now, of course, if someone's going to go to where people have no access to the gospel, they have to go. But did you know going's not just for missionaries? Going can be part of short-term things, to go help people with something that they need. Going could simply be a pastoral visit and to care for somebody and, and to pray with them in person, which is an incredibly powerful thing. But what's amazing is going is easier than it's ever been in the history of humankind. Sending. Uh, that chain that I showed you is a good example of sending. Sending is not simply writing a check to somebody. Now, it does include financial support, but, and I use the idea of holding the rope for someone. If someone's belaying, you know, descending a mountain, you need someone belaying for them, right? And, and this is the idea of the importance of the church. You're sending somebody out, but you need to hold the rope for them. And boy, that could be all sorts of things. That could be that baker. That could be somebody, you might have technology skills where you could come alongside someone and help them with security. Because many people where they're working today, the, these places are very hostile to the gospel. There's all sorts of things you could do. You could be somebody who simply keeps your eye on a missionary and says, have you taken your family on vacation recently? And care for them in that way. All sorts of ways that we can do. One of the most amazing ones is welcoming. I throw a picture of somebody you might know. I, J Dwayne and Jody Decker live in Vancouver, and I'm sure they've been this way. You might know them. But the reality is the nations are coming here. Within our own ministry, Better English in Tacoma, like I said, we have opportunity to share the gospel with people that we couldn't do that with an American passport in their own country. I've had opportunity to share the gospel with Iranians before. It's an amazing thing. The reality is many of the world's future leaders are here and they never get welcomed into an American home. They never have a positive interaction with Christians. And that's very sad. In fact, some of the world's tyrants right now were one time students in Western countries that have plenty of churches. And you know, it's not all bad news because right now in the world, there's doors that God's opening up because of people like Dwayne and Jody who welcomed students here and just loved on them. I was uh, hearing a story from somebody the other day of a Chinese leader who, even though th there's, you know, very harsh persecution of the church in China, this particular air leader opened his area up and just has his hands off the church. Why? Because when he was a student, he was welcomed by Christian people he never became a Christian, but he said, you know what? If we have more Christians in the world, that's not a bad thing because I had a good experience. So welcoming. Mobilizing. One of the things that the church needs to be involved in is ensuring that the people of the church, including our kids, that their hearts resonate with God's heart. I hope that as we've kind of walked through Scripture today, you saw that our God has a global heart. Our God is passionate for his global things. One more, this is my shameless plug. One thing we can be doing is growing. And yes, there's a perspectives class coming. You've heard about it. In the back, we're gonna have a laptop open. We can help you register for it. But there's other tools out there to grow and grow in your understanding. Attend Mission Connection. Go to the workshops. Do the Senders University. But friends, 
my hope for you today is that you would see that this is part of God's passion. And you know, when we love somebody, what should happen is our passions should line up with their passions. This happens in our marriages, this happens in our friendships, and you know what? It's really strange that if we look at God and say, you know what, God, I love you, but I I don't really care about global stuff. Now, you might not have any immediate feelings for global things, but be growing in it and pursue the things that God cares about. Here's what I want to do this morning to close this out, is I want to read Psalm 67 again. Now that I've talked and did all that stuff, and I would simply like you to close your eyes, and I want this to be a prayer to close us out today, okay? So close your eyes. Let's make Psalm 67 our prayer, and I'll read this as a prayer for us this morning. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine upon us. God, that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Oh God, let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. God, let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And God, that's my prayer this morning. God, I know that in Ephesians, you say that in Christ, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And I know if we did a survey of this room, you have blessed us in many other ways. Lord, I pray that you would bless this church, that you would bless Harvest. But God, I pray that in that blessing, that they would live for your bottom line that's behind those blessings. God, bless this church so that all the ends of the earth may know you. This is my prayer, and I pray it in the great name of Jesus. Amen.